Hello, this is Dr. Pen Shenqian, the Editor-in-Chief of Heart Rhythm. This is a summary of the August 2022 issue of the journal. The first article is Atrial Branch Coronary Artery Stenosis as a Mechanism for Atrial Fibrillation. Patients from a single center with obstructive CAD during cardiac catheterization were included in a matched case control analysis on the basis of the presence or absence of new-onset atrial fibrillation within one year of catheterization. Of 1,794 patients, 115 or 6% developed atrial fibrillation. Higher odds of AF at one year were associated with increasing lesion stenosis severity in the right intermediate atrial artery and AV nodal artery. The authors conclude that in patients with obstructive CAD, diseases of the arteries supplying blood flow to the atrial myocardium were associated with higher odds of new-onset AF at one year. The next article is Ultrasound-Guided Extracardiac Vagal Stimulation, New Approach for Visualization of Vagus Nerve during cardioneural ablation. The study group consisted of 48 patients in whom fluoroscopy-guided extracardiac vagal stimulation and ultrasound-guided extracardiac vagal stimulation were performed. Partial vagal response was defined as induction of sinus arrest or AV block, whereas full vagal response was defined as induction of both. Visualization of the vagal nerve using ultrasound was possible in 44 patients, or 92%. The authors conclude that ultrasound-guided extracardiac vagal stimulation is feasible and the full vagal response is achieved significantly more frequently than using fluoroscopy-guided extracardiac vagal stimulation. Up next, is effect of radiofrequency and ethanol ablation on epicardial conduction through the vein of Marshall. How to detect and manage epicardial connection across the mitral isthmus. The purpose of this study was to evaluate Marshall bundle conduction status during mitral isthmus ablation in 57 consecutive patients. Solely with endocardial ablation, 33 patients, or 66%, achieved an entire mitral isthmus block, and 43 patients, or 86%, achieved an epicardial martial bundle conduction block. Venom martial ethanol infusion was then performed and achieved the entire mitral isthmus block. The authors conclude that martial bundle is effectively ablated by radiofrequency ablation. Continuous evaluation of martial bundle conduction can reveal epicardial conduction and ablation effect. A residual martial bundle epicardial connection is relatively rare, but can be ablated by venal martial ethanol infusion. Coming up is clinical outcomes of conduction system pacing compared to biventricular pacing in patients requiring cardiac resynchronization therapy. This observational study included consecutive patients with left ventricular ejection fraction of less than or equal to 35% and class 1 or 2 indications for CRT who underwent successful bi pacing or conduction system pacing 
at two major healthcare systems. A total of 477 patients met inclusion criteria. Paced QRS duration in conduction system pacing was significantly narrower than BIV pacing. The outcome measures, including LVEF death or heart failure hospitalization, was better in conduction system pacing compared with BIV pacing. The authors conclude that conduction system pacing improved clinical outcomes compared to BIV pacing in this large cohort patients with indication of CRT. The next article is Rescue Left Bundle Branch Area Pacing in Coronary Venous Lead Failure or Non-Response to Biventricular Pacing. Results from International LBBAP Collaborative Study Group. The purpose of this study was to assess the feasibility and outcomes of LBBAP in patients who failed conventional BIV pacing. LBBAP was successfully performed in 200 patients, <clears throat> resulting in significant QRS narrowing. LVEF improved from 29% to 40% during follow-up. The authors conclude that LBBAP is a visible alternative to CRT in patients who failed conventional biventricular pacing due to coronary venous lead failure or who were non-responders. Next up is current of injury is an indicator of lead death and performance during left bundle branch pacing lead implantation. Left bundle branch pacing was attempted in 513 times in 212 patients. The LBB capture threshold was more likely to improve to an acceptable level after 10 minutes in leads with initial and the residual current of injury recorded on the tip electrode. Lead perforation during the procedure has occurred in 11 patients with no current of injury noted on the tip electrode. The ratio of current of injury recorded on the tip electrode to that on ring electrode was correlated to the lead depths determined by sheath on geography, and microperforation is highly possible when the ratio is decreased to less than one. The authors conclude that the current of injury is a useful tool in forecasting LBB pacing lead depth and the septal perforation, and it could, could facilitate the decision-making process when the initial LBB capture threshold is undesirable. Coming up is clinical outcomes and predictors of complications in patients undergoing leadless pacemaker implantation. The cohort included a total of 7,821 patients in National Readmission Database who underwent leadless pacemaker implantation. Overall, immediate procedure-related complications occurred in 7.5% of patients. The most significant predictor for procedural complications was end-stage renal disease, congestive heart failure, and coagulopathy. All-cause readmission occurred in 17.9% of patients within 30 days from device implant, with 1.36% of readmissions being procedure-related. 
The authors conclude that the rate of serious complications after leaders pacemaker implantation to be relatively low, and comparable to prior studies in a high-risk population with multiple comorbid conditions. Up next is the risk of sudden cardiac death associated with QRS, QTC, and JTC intervals in the general population. This study was conducted using data from three population cohorts from different eras, comprising a total of 20,058 individuals. The follow-up period was limited to 10 years, and age at baseline. To 30 to 61 years, during a mean period of 9.7 years, 207 sudden cardiac deaths occurred. QRS duration was associated with a significantly increased risk of sudden cardiac deaths in each cohort. The QTC interval had a borderline to significant associations with sudden cardiac deaths, and varied among cohorts. JTC interval as a continuous variable. Was not associated with sudden cardiac death. The authors conclude that prolonged QRS durations and QTC intervals are associated with an increased risk of sudden cardiac death. However, when QTC interval is deconstructed into QRS and JTC intervals, the repolarization component or JTC appears to have no independent prognostic value. Up next is outcome of patients with early repolarization pattern and syncope. Over a period of five years, the authors enrolled 143 patients with an early repolarization pattern and syncope in a multi-center prospective registry. 97 patients, or 67.8%, were implanted with a device allowing electrocardiogram monitoring. During a mean follow-up period of 68 months, they documented 16 arrhythmias, presumably responsible for syncope. Additionally, recurrent syncope not associated with electrocardiogram documentation occurred in 16 patients. The cause of syncope was identified in 23 of 97 patients with a monitoring device, 23.8%. The authors conclude that ventricular arrhythmias occurred in 4.9% patients with an early repolarization pattern and syncope. Device implantation based on detailed history taking seems to be a reasonable strategy. Previously reported high-risk ECG patterns did not identify patients with ventricular arrhythmias. The next paper is clinical. Profile and long-term follow-up of a cohort of patients with decimal plaquing cardiomyopathy. The clinical picture and outcome: 73 patients harboring a pathogenic or likely pathogenic DSP variant were evaluated. The phenotype during follow-up changed in 25 or 35% of patients. Arrhythmogenic LV cardiomyopathy pathy forms being the most frequent. Followed by biventricular and arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy forms. Major ventricular arrhythmias were detected in 21 patients, or 29%, and they were more common in ARVC and BIV forms than in arrhythmogenic LV cardiomyopathy forms. 
The authors conclude that the clinical phenotype in pathogenic or likely pathogenic DSP variant carriers is wide. In arrhythmogenic LV cardiomyopathy, heart failure and major ventricular arrhythmias seem less common than right ventricular and biventricular variant. Females show more frequent LV involvement and a better outcome. Up next is the impact of heart rate circadian rhythm on in-hospital mortality in stroke and critically ill patients. Insights from the EICU Collaborative Research Database. A total of 6,201 patients whose heart rate have Cosner rhythmicity. Compared with Apache 4 score only, a combination of Apache 4 score and the circadian rhythm variables of heart rate was associated with increased discriminative ability. The authors conclude that circadian rhythm of heart rate is an independent risk factor for in-hospital mortality in patients with stroke and critically ill, including circadian rhythm variables of heart rate might increase the discriminative ability of risk score to predict the prognosis of patients. Up next is early trends in needless pacemaker implantation, evaluating nationwide in-hospital outcomes. Using the national inpatient sample, the authors identified all hospitalizations with needless or transvenous pacemaker implantation. Between 2017 and 2019, the average age increased along with prevalence of heart failure, atrial fibrillation, and malignancy among recipients. Compared to transvenous pacemaker, needless intracardiac pacemaker implantation was associated with lower complication rate, which is 8.6% versus 11.2%, but greater mortality that is 5.2% versus 1.3%. The authors found that in the in-hospital mortality and the procedure-related complications declined in the past three years after approval of needless intracardiac pacemaker implantation and may reflect improving operator experience. Increased mortality compared with transvenous pacemaker implant remains a concern. The next article is uh, postnatal recurrence and the transesophageal inducibility of prenatally treated fetal supraventricular tachycardia. 36 pre, uh, prenatally treated newborns with fetal long or short ventricular atrial tachycardia were reviewed. 28 patients of 42% experienced SVT at or early after birth, which was associated with fetal long ventricular atrial tachycardia, delayed in in utero cardioversion with treatment. Prenatal treatment was multiple antiarrhythmics, and postnatal atrial ectopic tachycardia or permanent junctional reciprocating tachycardia. The authors conclude that the postnatal risk of SVT is related to the arrhythmia mechanism and prenatal treatment response. In newborns without spontaneous SVT, transesophageal pacing study may be useful. Up next is a paper titled Molecular and Functional Characterization of the Mouse Intracardiac Nervous System. The authors have identified the expression of seven distinct neuronal 
markers within the mouse ICNS. This proving the neuro neurochemical diversity of this network. Of note, it was the first time that the existence of neurons expressing the calcium binding protein co-binding uh, co uh, neuropeptide Y and, co and cocaine and amphetamine-regulated transcript peptide was described in the mouse. Electrophysiology studies also reveal the existence of four different neuronal populations on the basis of their electrical behavior. The authors conclude that the mouse ICNS presents a molecular and functional complexity similar to other species and is therefore a suitable model to decipher the role of individual neuron subtypes regarding the modulation of cardiac function and the initiation of cardiac arrhythmias. The above original articles are followed by two contemporary reviews. The first one is SCM5A overlap syndrome, an open-minded approach. The second one is R on T and the initiation of reentry revisited, integrating old and new concepts. We also have four research papers. The first one is titled Precordial Reverse Pattern Break a predictor of post, uh, postroceptal accessory pathways ablatable from the proximal coronary sinus. The second one is increased susceptibility to ventricular arrhythmia at low normal and moderately low levels of extracellular potassium in catecholaminergic polymorphic ventricular tachycardia. A third one is liver cirrhosis is independently associated with increased inhospital mortality in patients undergoing left atrial appendage occlusion device implantation. The fourth one is acute and medium-term outcomes of his bundle pacing with or without electrophysiology recording system using propensity score matched. The final article is an obituary published to remember Dr. Morton Maurer, a pioneer in ICD and resynchronization therapies. I hope you enjoy this podcast. For Hot Rhythm, I'm the Editor-in-Chief, Dr. Peng Shen Chen.